0: every formula coming at you live from venus uncle dre and auntie chris bring you gangster Gangster goddess broadcast welcome to gangster goddess broadcast with uncle dre and auntie chris that's right alan coulter and with mr alan coulter who has directed 12 soprano episodes college isabella Guy walks into a psychiatrist's office, D-girl, full leather jacket, knight in white satin armor, Mr. Retiro's neighborhood, university. He is risen for all debts, public and private, Mm. Irregular around the margins, and test stream. I'm out of breath, guys. That's a lot of episodes, Alan, and that's a lot of the best episodes of the show.
1: Didn't you produce almost 20 episodes
2: as well? I guess, you know, I was because David hired me to be the, you know, when he hired me, he asked me to be the producing director, meaning I kind of oversaw the other directors as they (laughs) came in and tried to help guide or at least usher them in. And so they weren't like lost when they came in. And so I was a producer, but I don't know how many episodes. I think it was two years. So I would have been uh, the first two seasons. And then I was like, I I didn't want to do it anymore. (laughs) Too Uh,
1: much. Too much.
0: Enough of this. Why is like, that, you know,
2: Alan? So, yeah, it was, it was just too much. I was just, Drea, you remember the hours, particularly that first two seasons. I mean, my God. And, uh, uh, so I would be shooting for like 14 hours or, God knows, 16 hours. And That's then crazy. I would finish mm-hmm. shooting. And the next day there would be, you know, Henry would always book these location scouts super early for whatever reason. he loved to get out of the house, I guess. And uh, it would be like <laughs> oh, Henry. 6 a.m. call. So, you know, I would finish like at 3 and I, they would drive me home, and I'd speak a couple hours, and I'd get up and go scout. Oh, my God.
0: I, I remember it being totally different. I remember us shooting seven-day weeks, so seven shooting days. And because it was only seven shooting days, we we ended up going almost 16 to 17 to 18 hours on certain days. So then they started to have to extend the work week and make it like a 15-day work week for each episode okay. to minimize the hours.
2: It was so brutal. It was. I mean, it was, you know, it's funny. It was brutal, but wonderful. You know, let's face it.
3: Thanks to Uprising Food for supporting Gangster Goddess. Uprising Food makes the best tasting paleo, low carb, grain free, dairy free, soy free, preservative free, high
1: fiber, moderate protein and designed for gut health on the planet. They're offering our listeners free shipping when you go to uprisingfood.com and use code GANGSTER at checkout. And they're the best. Here you go. Gangster. Gangster. Cute little boxes. All right, back to that Oh episode. yeah, I'm eating, people. Back to Alan. I've read that in the years of uh, 1999 to 2004, you directed eight episodes of Sex and the City for HBO, uh, Six Feet Under. And then 12 episodes of Sopranos. I mean, what was that? That time, Six Feet Under was another one of my all time favorite series.
2: I mean, it was. Yeah. You know what? (laughs) It was that they were all good shows. And what happened was, after the first season of Sopranos, uh, Sex and the City had one season and it was not successful. And so they came to me and said, Would I do the first two episodes of Sex and the City? And try to find some kind of visual style and they'd already they'd hired Michael Patrick King as the new mm-hmm. head writer and so I thought you know it's HBO and why not and so I, I said okay so I did a two and they said well why don't you do two more and so I did two more and then I said guys I gotta go I gotta go back <laughs> to the Sopranos so
0: amazing
2: So uh, so I did good. that and then after that I did you know they asked me back the next season I think I did four maybe that time I can't remember meanwhile HBO put me under contract and so I was the first TV director they'd put under contract. So I thought, so they said, go do six feet under. So I did that and I I was under contract for about a year and uh, it sounds like I'm one of the a difficult guy, but I just was like, you know, I kept saying no to everything they asked me to do because like, well, that doesn't really interest me. (laughs) And I don't (laughs) think that's what they expected. So eventually we agreed to walk away mutually from the contract because I just, you know, they had other shows and I wasn't interested. So I just stuck with the Sopranos ultimately and a few more sexinesses.
0: Well, I noticed that, um, that for the Sopranos, they would always make sure that you, for most seasons, that you were doing the opening episode. Right. Um, and I also noticed with certain shows, like a certain show that we both worked on called Sons of Anarchy, Ah. that they brought you in as the fixer.
2: Yeah, I guess that's right. Well, what happened, I did the pilot, and then they recast one of the leads. And then ultimately, I couldn't, when they did that, I was not available to go back. And Michael Denner, I believe, came in and directed scenes to replace. He did certain scenes. Oh, okay. Honestly, you know, going back to do a new actor, and it's not the greatest job. I I remember David Franco, uh, who's a cinematographer on Boardwalk Empire, has a great expression. He said, reshoots are like putting on a wet bathing suit. And I think yeah, that's, that's exactly what it's like.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I hate it too. It, yeah. I think that there were reshoots at my exit of the show, and I was like, really, like these were big scenes, and I have to we have to reshoot some of these. Yeah, I wasn't into that. But um, then I noticed that, that David would always want you to have that first episode lead in to the new season a few times.
2: Well, it was every season that I was there, so it was two, three, four. I don't know if I did it in season five. I,
0: no, five, you did um, uh, episode five, Irregular Around the Margins, which I, I just watched today. Oh, so good.
2: You know, it's funny, but I haven't seen Irregular Around the Margins, probably since it aired. I, I don't remember even what happens, to, to be honest. I,
1: um, it so Chris, do you remember? Um, yeah. That was the one where I mean, you, you get into a car accident, right?
0: Yeah, the car accident
1: yes. oh. has the a Tony has a cancer that he's afraid of. Right. it's melanoma on his head. Dre right. gets into the she's start they're going to get some cocaine. They get that's into right. the car that's accident. Right.
2: Yeah, that's actually got a yeah, that's nice when I remember that now. There's this real flirtation between the two of you. Remember in the Dart game? Do you remember the whole darts thing? What happened? This, Drea, our, no, I please tell them.
0: me.
2: The two of them were going darts and Tony's teasing her. But the whole thing yeah. has got this undercurrent of flirtation, you know, just it's subtle.
1: Completely, but,
2: and, and they're they're throwing darts, and then there's this moment where they're really standing close, and then somebody knocks on the door, and they come in, and it breaks that spell, and then later they're in the car, and they have this moment just before the crash. But when we were shooting, we could only shoot one side, you know, then throwing the darts, and then the dartboard.
1: Yeah, she so was actually darts, pretty good.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, and the no, darts, were, but the, the idea she was intentionally kind of missing a little bit. But then what happened was at the end, we wanted to have like a bullseye. So we got the camera rolling, and so Jim is throwing him for Drea, you know, because he's you know, a <laughs> guy. You know, getting oh,
1: so, come on, Dre! you need a
0: stunt double to throw. I don't want to do it. I had him a latex dress, people. <laughs> so, uh,
2: <laughs> so, uh, so he kept missing. So cool. He kept missing. So then I think they handed off maybe to the prop guy, and they were missing. So finally, Jim, and I don't know why he did this, he said, Here, and he handed me the darts. And so I threw it, and I got a bullseye the You're first like, time.
1: Ah. So, so, <laughs> Yeah, so, give me the blindfold. I'll do it. Was,
2: I think I probably, that's probably the moment I gained a little of his respect finally. But yeah, that was an interesting one, that car wreck.
0: Well, there was that scene, Alan, where where he beats me up. I totally forgot about this. Oh, I talk where about Christopher beat you up? He, one yeah, he beats two? the shit out of me.
2: And then grabs your hair? Is that the one?
0: Yes. Well, he, uh, yes. he pulls. you. Do you, you remember you. what happened that day?
2: Yeah, I do. Because there's this the, the scene where he grabs your hair to, to drag you out of the room and throw you out of the room. You had a, a rig that he was supposed to grab, I guess, under your hair. So even though he might have had your hair, his hand would have been holding this rig. But I think he missed the rig. It broke. And he got your hair. Or it broke. Oh. It
0: broke. And he said, I'm not going till we get a new rig. And I said, I'm in the moment. We have to go. And you guys all said, no, we're waiting for the harness. And I said, if we don't shoot this scene right now, you're not going to have me. I was like, we got to go. And you have to pull me by my hair. <gasps> and this is how it has to be.
1: Um, i was like it. this watching that like I, that broke my heart and then he just threw you out like trash
2: then we had to stop it. yeah remember because it was it just fucking killed you i mean it was yeah
0: it was a lot and i you know when i yelled my neck that wasn't in the script that was probably the first ad-lib david chase ever let go <laughs> in an episode but my I, my neck was fucked afterwards like it really really was um but we got it
2: yeah it's good oh, i wonder if you ever read. did you say awa
0: I didn't say ow in that scene, I don't think. I think it was, um. there were bigger things going. I was probably shitting my pants with my IBS. <laughs>
2: uh, that was, yeah, that was a, a grim episode, that one. Grim. That
0: was a heavy one. That was a bit, I had forgotten about it completely. And then we were also just, I just watched Test Dream and I forgot that one. And man, oh man, I love that episode.
2: Good, um, I'm glad. I just watched it now, just after you texted me and said you were watching it. I thought, shit, I better. I don't remember it. So I, I uh, watched it. And actually, I like that one. I, you know, I don't always like my own work, but I liked that one. It has a, an interesting feel to it. It started strange, especially once Jim goes to the Plaza Hotel and is, you know, kind of just shows up there and checks in. I noticed that the way I shot it, I, the minute he shows up there, it starts to feel odd. All the shots are, are a little bit offbeat. I mean, a little strange. Him in the big empty hallway, a lot of steady cam work right behind him. Even the way it's shot when he goes into the hotel room, the suite, the camera is very still, you know, kind of distant from him and then kind of follows him around again. And then once you're in the dream, it's David was very explicit. He said, I don't want it to be like a dream, meaning he didn't want any fancy effects or anything. I didn't want it to be either. But I, I felt like it was successful in that the movement of the camera and the way it was framed and stuff and, and all the misdirection, all the times you see something and it's not you know, like when he's walking in the hallway at the school. And then you, yeah. you see him walking down that long hallway and then the camera's pulling back and then you go to what looks like his point of view down the hallway. And then he steps in from yes. the other side,
0: that
2: which was a sense. shot I actually stole from an old film called performance. Uh, that oh, I, I
0: love performance. Oh my God. I haven't seen that in years.
2: Well, there's a great sequence in the airport with, I think Edward Fox is the guy and, uh, and he's walking through this airport and as he's walking forward, you cut to his point of view and the camera moves forward. And he's sitting in a chair in the airport. I always remember that shot. So,
0: oh, that's I, awesome.
2: Just stole that.
0: What would you say was your favorite episode? To, to, I mean, your one of your episodes is probably whenever I get interviewed is the one episode that I always say is my favorite, which was University. People wow. hated it. People really, really had a, a strong ah. reaction to that episode. Mm-hmm. I mean, people were, were trying to cancel their subscriptions to HBO.
2: Well, I remember getting the script and reading it and going to David and said, the guys come off like really shitty. Jim's not likable. Everybody seems like a...
1: Ralphie in that episode. Ralphie, yeah.
2: no,
0: Everyone, that. Everyone's despicable. The children I are mean, just, Meadow is, her boyfriend is. I mean, yeah. the emotional violence, forget about the, the physical violence, but the emotional violence in that episode. I know.
2: I know. So I went to, and he said, yeah, he said, I know, you know, I've got to remind people that these aren't just a bunch of charming mobsters. That they are really bad guys, and he was concerned about that. That everybody falls in love with them and they begin to think, oh, they're just kind of wacky guys who do yeah. crazy shit." So he wanted to remind, wake people up and say, "But they're mobsters. They do terrible things," and that was the idea behind it. So there we went, and I, I'll tell you a funny story about it. kind of well, funny, but it was it was interesting. Mm-hmm. The the whole time we're doing it, I was depressed. It was so unpleasant to direct that, and it, it's a little bit in a curious way. It was kind of like being uh, like you know, people talk about you know, the cliche is method actors, you know, they kind of live out the experience mm-hmm. on the screen, but it was a little like that directing it. I mean, it was really oh, short sure. and it was not fun at all. You know, it, when he kills the, the hooker out behind the bottom bing, yeah. it was just so unpleasant. So I got this idea while we were filming that I was having some kind of disagreement with David that I had to talk to him about when soon it was over. I said, yeah, I just can't live with this. You know, I was, I was really in a terrible mood. And so when it was all over, I went to David and I said, we need to talk about this, you know, because it was really bothering me. And he said, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, didn't this happen? He said, no.
0: Wait, no. That was I your test dream.
2: It was, <laughs> I, yeah, that I was upset that I think the terrible feelings of having to direct it migrated into I'm having a problem with David. But the truth was, there was nothing going on. It was all, David, wow.
1: David's show. You were having a problem directing because it was so wow.
2: heavy. It was, so, <laughs> it was so unpleasant. So to answer your question, my favorite episode, I like that one. as unpleasant as it is. I like Isabella, the one where he thinks he sees. is yes. the second one I did in right? season two. Mm-hmm. And I also, I actually, I rather liked the test stream. But I'm not a good judge. I mean, I things that people like. No, people love college. I like it okay. I like parts of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, D girl, you know, not so much. You know. I mean, I it, it, <laughs> it, it, it's so funny. I mean, it, but because I'm looking at different things, I'm looking at you know how I chose to shoot a scene. Shoot and, it,
0: mm-hmm. right? It also was probably such a huge departure to be working with all these other actors on the show. I and mean, did you prefer working with the main cast, or did you like when it got opened up? Because you were there a lot, so I'm sure to keep it. To keep it spicy for you.
2: Yeah, no, I, I liked it when new people came in and they we never had, as, at least in my experience, nobody ever misbehaved as far as, you know, no. come in. They well,
0: were. there was one, but it didn't bother me. It bothered the powers that be. So that person was replaced again. That was another reshooting, replacing and reshooting before the DVD release. So that people would forget. I don't know if you know that story, but I I (laughs) won't. It was one of the one of the girls with me. But I always talk about that. It's
2: boring. I always had a good time with everybody. I mean, the whole experience. It was what I would call an extremely challenging experience in the sense that it was just so hard. And you know, David could be you know right all over you sometimes as a director, and that was could be frustrating, although. We survived it and we're good friends to this day, but, you know, it's just hard and the hours really never got much better. And, you know, I've, I've said in some interviews, I said, it was like a big Italian dysfunctional family. You
0: know? <laughs> we loved each other so much though.
2: So. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, you know. now forget it. I mean, you know, now if you talk to any of the guys, of course I talked to Michael, you know, Steve Shripa and anybody I've talked to, Timmy and Patton, we only have good memories of it, even the difficult parts. Just yeah. Great.
0: We just did a happy hour with some of the crew from the show. So it was a few of us on, and we got to talk to, was a hair and makeup and wardrobe. And, and it was really, really fun. And everybody was remembering their crazy stories, um, way different stories than from the seat that you were sitting in. But still, the, that it was a family and that it felt like that all the time. But speaking of David Chase, I was wondering, because I know you more than I know the other directors on the show. Um, You and I have a little more of a history and stuff. And I also adored you. I used to get very excited when you would be directing. Um, I know that you were there to oversee a lot of the directors a lot of the time. Probably not as much guys like Timmy and John Patterson, who was also my love. I loved John Patterson so much but you probably had to deal with the film directors that came in and I loved them, but us actors and us and the writers and everybody there and the crew would be like, Hey, we have a system here. Don't mess with it. We're not filming a movie here and we all want to go home, you know? So it would turn into one of these kind of power struggles, which was shitty because we should have all just been excited because they were excited to be there. Did you have to deal with reigning in a few of the film directors and get okay. the days down, because those hours would go forever.
2: I think by the time I sh- would show up, the, the the problem would often be solved. I can remember uh, Phil Abraham saying, you know, he was shooting one, and basically the director was just lost. you know he was tired, and he couldn't work as fast as we were. you know movie directors have it leisurely compared to what television is, so they, he, the guy just got lost, he didn 't know what to do. They said he was completely lost, so they just took over Phil. Who's now a director in his own right. But oh, he, he is.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's oh, that's very, awesome. I didn't very know that. Very
2: director in television, yeah, extremely well. And uh, he just took over, and I guess the crew just kind of stepped in and just went, stand back, we got it, you know, and they just pushed on ahead and got done. But I remember after that experience feeling like feature directors in general, not always, should stay away from television, at least from episodic. And they, they you know, pilots, you know, Scorsese does them, David Fincher, you know, Michael Mann. But that's a different doing a pilot's an entirely different experience than coming in on
0: Yeah. The music. crew on our call on our on our Zoom, our happy hour thing, said that one of the film directors walked out in tears.
1: No, yeah, they made him cry. You all went <laughs> I know, I was like,
0: Who Tell was me. this? That walked out in tears. <laughs> that's because an I do Italian know-
1: family. That's an Italian family, right there.
0: <laughs> oh, really I just hope it wasn't me or Michael. That's all.
1: Um, no, I think the crew made him cry. That's what they're saying.
0: <laughs> was the it the crew? crew? Yeah. That yeah. sucks. Um, yeah. So when you would be doing your episodes, who was your favorite writer to work with? Because a lot of people out there don't know that the writers are calling half the shots when they're in that that room. And that's who drives us crazy sometimes. And as much as we love the writers because we're saying their words and because these writers were fantastic. I bought heads once with Robin and Mitch, who were my favorites, by the way. But I had a thing with, I think, Robin with both of them because they wanted me to act something out in blocking. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it was a really emotional scene, and I really didn't want to go there. And I was like, oh, you got to let me breathe here for the blocking part, and then I'll give it to you when we get in the room when we're actually about to go. And they weren't feeling it, and I think it just turned into a, a war zone for a few hours there, and I was never like that.
2: Yeah, I know what you mean. I, curiously, I would say Robin and Mitch. Now, it has partly to do with I directed a lot of their scripts, and uh, I was always very pleased with them. You know, and of course, David co-wrote uh, College. He probably wrote most of it, would be my guess. I mean, I enjoyed the test stream. That was Matt Weiner. And I know that he was a little frustrated because David had rewritten a good deal of that. Or, But I had a very good experience with Matt. I, it was funny. I was told that um, he could be, you know, very much all over the director. And I was like, well, all right, you know, I'll see how it goes. And I show up and he couldn't have been more easygoing and just kind of sat back and So I I remember telling this to Robin and Mitch, and I think it was Robin who said, she said, yeah, because David said, stay off of him. Don't bother. Leave him alone. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It could go either way with Matt, with all of us, I feel like.
2: I had a great great time with him. We laughed our asses off. And I mean, I must say I did more of, and I really did like the Robin and Mitch scripts myself. And I have no idea how much David rewrote. I really don't know. All I know is that I would get one of those scripts and it'd always be interesting and funny. And you know, filled with wonderful nuance and detail and stuff. So, but as again, that had to do with the fact that I directed so many of them, you know? and
0: uh, Yeah. I, I think Robin and Mitch were definitely my, um I had certain people that were like, like my heart on the shows in, in each department. You and John for me as directors and then Robin and Mitch. I love the other writers, but I had, I had a soft spot for Robin and Mitch for sure. And I love the way they wrote for me. And, and for everybody. What
1: was it like directing um, Edie Falco and James Gandolfini? You did Nurse well, Jackie, too, didn't you? Did you uh, uh, yes,
2: Jackie? I did the pilot for Nurse Jackie. Yeah, uh, I love that show, too. Yeah, they,
0: bring, they bring in the, the man for all the opening <laughs> episodes. Well, oh, all the pilots. Like yeah. Uh, uh-huh.
2: So th- I would say this, that, I mean, they couldn't have been more different, as I'm sure you remember, too. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, Edie was, a, and I mean it as a compliment, I sometimes would refer to her as a lunchbox actress because she was like one of those people showing up at the factory with their little box and the time card, and she'd clock in and sit down, do the work,
1: impeccable,
2: and then go home. And and in no way does I mean that like she was indifferent. No, she was impeccable, but she was very very professional. She didn't fuck around. She came in to do the work, and then she left. You know and Jim was, as we know, a more complex character and uh, a very, very good guy who had his devils. And uh, it's funny because watching Test Stream reminded me of a story I'll tell you. But he took direction. I mean, sometimes he could be challenging. I mean, I remember in uh, is it? It's irregular around the margins when they go out to shoot. He threatens Chris. to kill Christopher on the road.
1: Yeah, yeah. And,
2: uh, that sequence. I had found this location and I remember talking to David about it and I said, I wanted to light it with the headlights. And he said, well, they wouldn't have their headlights on because then they see. I think it's said, Yeah, but they're in the middle of nowhere and how can they see what they're doing? And it's night. And so yeah. he finally acquiesced. And then when we were scouting it, it was windy. So all the grasses behind them were all blowing around. And it reminded me of Akira Kurosawa, the Japanese director who always uses weather in his films, you know, to create chaos. And I thought, yeah. great. But you wait, we'll show up. at probably be no wind. I said, so bring some big, you know, I think it's called a Ritter fan, bring this huge fan in case we have to blow the grass. And uh, I wanted fog and I wanted to just make it feel kind of nightmarish. And I remember we were out there, and what happened was we were rehearsing, and they had, had Michael's hands uh, cuffed behind his back. And something happened, and he stumbled, and they let him go, and he fell on his face on the pavement.
0: I heard about this.
2: Yeah. Ouch. So when you see the, in the car, the His nose
1: okay?
2: well, <laughs> it was swollen. And so when you see him in the, car, the back of the car in the scene that prior to them taking him yeah. out of the car, he looks a little swollen, which is he perfect. Does. They would have beaten him up. You know, yeah,
1: cause they look, wow. they're look they going to see the doctor so he can prove that That's right. and Tony and didn't. Yeah. Have After
2: he threatens yeah. him, then they go to see the doctor, but mm-hmm. in the back of the car and you, and he was kind of freaked by that. I mean, Michael was, so it kind of added something to the scene. So, and then I sort of shot it in a subjective way. We got, and I had remembered this Western film where they shoot a fight through the legs of horses in a corral. And so I wanted, to, I shot a little bit of it through their legs and I had the grass. And so when it, when it came time to shoot after we rehearsed, I said, okay, turn on the fan. And Jim, when he heard that, he's like, what? And I said, yeah, I, you know, we're going to turn on the fan because we've got to have the grass smoke. And he and I had already, gotten into it a bit, so when I said that, he was so like exasperated he didn't even say anything. He just went and,
1: <laughs> you wore it was, him down. It like
2: it, it just went too far for him. But the reason he got exasperated because he realized that the minute we turned on that fan, he was going to have to dub the whole scene. That's what I was thinking.
0: Uh, oh yeah so
2: he had to dub they had to dub the entire scene. Now when I saw it finally, it's impeccable. You would never know I mean he was no. of course you always worried, can I get the performance? here in the studio that I got out there in the, you know, but yeah, they did yeah. beautifully. But that scene was problematic because no one, including, I think, Robin and Mitch, believed that that the audience would believe he's going to shoot Christopher.
1: I know. It was tough. Yeah.
2: It was tough. And so part of the reason I thought of those things, like the wind and stuff, was I needed to make the scene feel like it was out of control
1: yeah. so that you would feel mm-hmm. like
2: anything could happen. That was the theory behind it.
1: Chris has a theory about wind. In well, the show. no, but I just I noticed it in Isabella use wind use wind a lot there too, right? Um, you know, obviously the series is always like the main theme running through the series is nothingness. So I was looking up the word nothingness, and one of the first or second synonym that popped up was wind.
2: Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I,
1: I was like, that's really interesting, and I was I had to like really look. I'm like, I said this in the wrong section, <laughs> you know? But, yeah.
2: Yeah. So well, nice. I I like to use it. I mean, I used it. Yeah, and uh, Isabella. Uh, Powerful. I, I man. That's the one where I come in on a scene with a hat being blown and.
0: Oh, that that was your episode. We never understood that damn scene. It's with Livia and Junior oh. online for the movies. Yeah, yeah. and it's such it's a, matinee, a bizarre yes. scene. It, it is like because
2: the language is very strange. You know, they're they're talking about the attempted attempt on Tony, and they can't say it. But it's mixed in with him talking about, the, I think, the price of movies. So, well, he's getting
0: pissed at her.
2: He's getting pissed at her. You know, she's in truck. denial. She's acting. She's kind of about to hang him out to dry, you know, act like I got nothing to do with this. I think that's I think that's right. Yeah. But the
0: thing that, in, in that scene that, that intrigued me was that it ends up being part of what's being played on the FBI tapes to Tony later on. And they're not inside Green Grove. They're out on the street there. Yeah. But I, yeah. I, if I'm, if I could be wrong about this, but I do think that that was a portion of what played in those tapes when he found yeah. out that, that Junior and Livia were plotting against him.
2: And it does seem um, like a little bit of a cheat. Go well, back to the wind, I was trying to think of a way to make that whole, every time you cut to Isabella, to have a little subtle hint that all was not normal. Because, yeah. you know, as you later learn. And so the opening of that scene, that whole episode, as I recall, it's Tony lying in bed, and I shot it with one eye visible, mm-hmm. because I wanted to express through the way we shot it how stoned he was from these drugs.
1: Oh, uh, that's the was. Prozac, yeah. the so lithium. He was on lithium
0: at that point. Yeah, that both. was a lithium dream. Lithium uh, and
2: Prozac both, I think, and yeah, and he's yeah, like gulping them down later on in the bathroom. But so I started with a shot that was sort of meant to look a little like you know, like a beached whale. You could just see, you know, how with whales, you just see one eye yeah. and he's just lying there still and then finally gets up. And then I shot it so that Edie was always very small in the background, kind of moving around because I wanted yeah. her to be like a mosquito that's sort of bothering him, you know, so, you know, and buzzing around.
1: Amazing to hear all that. Yeah, I was
0: obsessed with that episode. I thought it was really beautifully shot and the music and everything. I also felt like at one point Carmelo was dressed Purposefully, like
1: the blue a suit. queen, the
0: That's
1: blue suit. like Queen
0: so like yeah. Elizabeth or something. Yeah, it was very bizarre, like a strange choice of clothing, and she looked at the color. It looked like she was a queen. I don't know if that was intentional or not.
2: Well, she certainly but, um, wasn't dressed to be sexy, you know. And whereas Isabella is, you know, just a, a monument to sexuality. So, in fact, Jim was he was completely intimidated by her.
1: Oh, he was. By the Italian woman that he (laughs) hallucinated?
2: Yeah. Wow, because she was was just so
1: gorgeous, or was it her like, just her energy?
2: It was her everything. You know her everything.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, I would that not did. expect that. Cause I don't think he was intimidated by Sophia Milo's because she was also extremely beautiful and and she ruled that that episode of commendatory. Oh
2: yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Well, no, he he I, he was very nervous about filming with her. That was my memory. And of course he's not here to deny it, but I, that was the question yeah. that was that he was really nervous about it. But so directing Jim was, you know, it was always a challenge. And I was going back to the test stream. Because he, he could challenge you, and he was a big guy. Yeah. And to, you know, to, you know, to have to take him on out there in the, on the road in the middle of nowhere with the sun you know, threatening to come up was like, you earn your stripes. You know I mean, it was not yeah. easy. And to, start, to go back to the point I was going to make, nobody believed that scene that he was going to shoot him. So I was doing all I could to bring about a sense of chaos that would make chaos. it believable. Mm-hmm. But Jim was challenging me about the scene, And what you can't say as a director is, I agree. It does seem unbelievable. And that's what I'm trying to solve. So I I was in the awkward position of having to defend the believability of the scene, even though I didn't believe it. And even though Robin and Mitch had a problem with it, as I recall.
1: Why can't you say that as a director if you're trying to change it? Because if you admit that to an actor...
2: Because then it's like you're blaming the writers. And it's like, well, what am I supposed to do then? And let's get David on the phone and whatever. And it causes
1: chaos in general.
2: Yes, yeah. different kind of case. So, kind of so chaos. Uh, yeah, so no, I had to just say no. It works for this reason, and this is how I'm shooting it. Blah blah blah. And so it was one of those things. That's that's why I say we had this big kind of thing, and then I said drone fan, and that was like so far beyond what he could deal with that He just did it. And that <laughs> night was complicated because that night we had to stop because it started raining, and you know we were worried about the sun coming up, and so during that break. Jim got a phone call from HBO and um, came back in an even worse mood than he was before uh. he started filming. And the reason was he had just learned he was going to make a ton of money the next season. They had just closed his contract. And Jim being the wonderful self-destructive guy he was, it freaked him out, you know, and uh. because he didn't think he deserved it. I mean, I think a great deal of Jim's issues were feelings of, you know, lack of surprisingly self-worth. And yeah. so, when he heard he was going to make all his money, he just was, I'm sure, filled with guilt and you know, who knows. Yeah,
0: I think, well, that goes for all of us across the board. I mean, us actors don't start doing what we do because we love ourselves. We, we're we trying to be someone else every day. Yeah. I think the moment I, I stopped sort of acting a lot was when I was finally happy with, with who I was. Yeah. But I feel like that goes for all of us. Even the lunchbox. How did you call it, Edie? <laughs> the lunchbox. lunchbox. You know, we we all have. Then <laughs> that's like a a common thread, and I think that all of us there on The Sopranos, we all come from that same place. We all came with all our baggage and our wounds, and we just sort of. Park ourselves on this set of this show was the first thing of its kind. Nothing had ever happened like this. We were never going to dive into an an emotional life like this. And to tell these sort of interrelational stories and family and psychology and, you know, existentialism, all of these sort of things that all us actors are living with all day long. And I think directors too, and writers, I think we're all fighting all these demons all the time.
2: Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I think, I mean, none of us are immune to those feelings, you know, but I think it's exacerbated uh, with actors because they have to reveal themselves. And and to go back to Edie and, and Jim just for a minute, Edie was so consummate. We we're shooting a scene where Richie and Janice are, I think there it's an engagement party or something in the living room at the Soprano house. And what happens in the scene is, it was described as that, uh, you know, Carmella leaves the room, goes into the kitchen and breaks down crying. And so I wanted to do it in one shot, you know, where I could be on the steady cam and pull her back and let her, you know, just race to get into the kitchen and then duck behind a wall and break down. So we did it like seven times. And every time she would genuinely break down at the end of that take, just hold it, hold it, hold it. And finally after seven takes, I said, can you do one more? And she said, no, that was it. So we had it. I mean, but seven times she was able to escape the room and come and, Break down. And that was sort of classic Edie of just had such amazing control of her technical apparatus. And Jim, you know, is a different kind of actor entirely. But I, And I can remember standing on the set, and it happened with Edie too, of just watching Jim and thinking, I'm actually watching someone who's truly a great actor. I mean, I felt yeah. that way with a lot of you all guys. I mean, all of you, really. <laughs> what, yeah. yeah. And that scene
0: with, with Edie was... That was a beautiful scene. And you don't expect it sometimes with her because Jim is like a tiger in a cage. You know that when he gets out of that cage, he's going to come out roaring and you don't know what to expect. With Edie, you know you're going to get this really solid performance. But then when Mm -hmm. she's got to go to these other places, you kind of stand back because you're like, it's even more chilling when it comes from her in certain areas. I agree. you know, like Lorraine's
2: an animal. I eat as an animal. I'm an animal. Michael's not. Michael is also like Evie in his way too. Yes. I felt yes. like and, they're, and they're very dominant. And Kneze, dominant, yes. is that way
1: too. How was yeah. Nancy Marchon? She's one of my favorite on the show. I mean, how yes. was she?
2: Yeah. Lovely. I mean, she was just very cooperative. Though, I mean, she was wonderful. I mean, it was really a sad day when she was sick and left us. And uh, but she was really wonderful. And I, I remember two things about it. One was that when you went to kiss her, she really gave you a kiss. I mean, it was, it was like, you know, it wasn't sexual, but it was like I'm a woman, and I'm not this old woman that you're looking at. Did She know. go for the
0: lips? Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah,
2: I thought that was fantastic because I thought, oh, that's who you are. You know, that you're a real woman. And she was also very, very funny. And uh, I had this thing happen to me that was so embarrassing, but I I'll, I'll only since it's just the three of us. Uh,
0: Yeah, Just tell us. You may as well.
2: Nobody will know. Nobody will ever hear this story. But uh, we we were shooting a dinner scene in the Soprano house and because of the medication she was taking, she didn't have the memory she used to have. And and I was told that she was one of those actors who would show up and glance at a script and learn it almost instantly. That She had a phenomenal memory. So she used to get very frustrated with herself not remembering the lines. But I was getting more and more frustrated. Not with her, but just with the circumstances. And there was... uh, a moment where AJ was supposed to go over and kiss her.
0: Oh boy. Mm-hmm.
2: So I was talking, I was talking about it. And I said, so go over when you go over and slap her. And I said, oh, I mean, uh, kiss her. <laughs> and I hear suddenly Nancy's voice boomed out over the whole set. She said, is there a Dr. Freud in the house? <laughs> <laughs> so Aww. I mean, so she nailed me and I deserved it. But she was very, very smart and very clever, much more like in the category of Edie, And she was just impeccable. I mean, and that role was so the opposite of anything she'd ever done. Like yeah. yeah. Powerhouses and intellectuals and stuff. And then to play the, and that horrifying wig. And then, oh, my God, she was great.
1: Dre. Dre. What? Come on, dude. We got to get back to the episode. you It's taking way too long. For people that cannot see, she's stuffing her face full. That's right. Up, I'm eating up. our
3: delicious sponsor's bread. Uprising <laughs> Foods bread. This is how you do it, by the way. I have the most crazy mixture here with this thick, fluffy, dense, yet chewy grain-free bread. First of all, grain-free bread is usually a brick. This is not yes. a brick. This is so the good. most delicious bread ever. Oh, you have the box. I have they the deliver box. those to you right to your door, four or six boxes. You put the ones you're not using in the freezer, and then you put the one that you are gonna use in the fridge. And sure, here's the thing good. about grain free and preservative free breads. They mm-hmm. usually suck. And um, you want okay. to usually mask them with whatever food you're going to dress it up with. The thing about Uprising Food Bread is I like to eat it solo,
1: just the way it is with my olive oil. Mm. I like mine toasted with a little bit of butter. I know, whatever. But it's well, still, delicious it really toasted. Is good. it's delicious. It's delicious. It's amazing.
3: It's peanut butter and jelly. It's an make, make, amazing croutons, amazing French toast. Cool um, I mean, anything you do with mm-hmm. bread, this is better than regular bad bread for you. It's addictive.
1: They're offering our listeners free shipping when you go to uprisingfood.com and use code gangster at checkout. I'm sending it to everyone I know. It's delicious. All right. back. I guess um, let's get back into Alan, right? Yeah. We can eat. We can do like, your What all day. are you broad doing? I know. We're let's eating bread.
0: In, let's get back into Alan. But speaking of being challenged by anybody, because I know that you're not quiet. What was it like for you to work with David? Some folks had too much of a hard time. Some did not. You know, I idolize him personally. To me, he yeah. could do no wrong, even though he could be a ball breaker and... He was Olivia's son to a degree. <laughs> I know.
2: So. Well, it was at first it was understandable because it was his show, the first season in particular, and he didn't know me really. And I remember when the second season, when I was doing the whole first episode, and he was very much around. And I guess I did four episodes that second season or something like that. And you know, it became increasingly difficult. And you know, because at a certain point, you feel as a director. Well, trust me, I'm going to, you know, I understand certain things, but mm-hmm. let me do my job. I mean, it's hard, you know, when yeah. there and kind of over your shoulder and stuff. And finally, after season three, I kind of had it. So we went out to dinner, uh, David and Denise and Kim and myself went out to dinner when the season was over. And I, I remember it very clearly. I went to an Italian restaurant, big surprise, <laughs> uh, had a nice time and everything. And at the end of dinner, we were leaving. And Denise said, David, isn't there something you want to say? Yeah. And uh, he said, oh, yeah, I know I was kind of all over you, <laughs> you know. And, I love and, and, that it. it Denise's
1: you know, wife. Yeah. Yes. Denise? She's, she's like, fantastic. She's
2: I know. Like, so um, it's like having the mob boss semi-apologize, you know. Of course, he, he said, uh, well, you didn't do your best work. And I said, well, yeah, I didn't. So, but it didn't turn into anything. It was just like, I appreciated that he kind of acknowledged that it was frustrating. And, you know, curiously, I think that that story I told about Matt Weiner was a result of that because he was acknowledging that he had been just too controlling. And so when I came back, the first one I did was with Robin and Mitch, and they generally were good. Generally, they left me alone. And then when I did testing with Matt Weiner, that's when David said, don't be all over it. So he he took me at my word. Right. I, just, I didn't want that. and uh, But it was a loving event, and I, I have great not just respect, which we all do for David, but great love for him. I'm a very, very grateful to him, and can't say more. Me than too. More. Just great things.
0: Me too. I have to ask you about a silly scene, and I think that you directed this episode. And this is a really silly question. There was a scene with Joey Pants. Did you like working with Joey Pants? Because yeah, that's he, he, what a character.
2: Uh, yeah, I did like working with him. He was nuttiest could be but in a delightful way i I, i've got a story unless you're going to ask me about it
0: oh i think it's the same story Oh, (laughs) when he's when he's passed out
1: naked
2: yeah Yeah.
1: wait a second excuse me rewind what happened
2: go Scene where where they're partying with a bunch of stewardesses at a hotel or something in in new york so we have to shoot the scene and, and he's supposed to ralphie's supposed to wake up passed out on this couch naked with a little i think it's a Cut steward's on. cap over his ass you know? <laughs> and, uh, so we're we're getting ready to shoot this scene and you know usually when people are naked in scenes you know there's a lot of okay let's clear the set put up some curtains or whatever and he just try to clear the set so there's no self-consciousness whatever so i'm standing over at the monitor talking about how we're going to shoot it and here comes joey He's standing beside me, and I look over. He's stark naked. He's standing there, and he's just walking around the set, stark naked, going, you know, you know, and talking to people and all this. I was like, "Well, I guess we don't guess have someone... to be concerned about his nudity," you know. Because Joey,
0: no pants.
2: Joey, no pants. <laughs> <laughs> and he spent the whole time just walking around, stark naked, and the I think he put the little cap on, and he was kind of walking around, talking to people and stuff like.
1: that.
2: A oh. no big deal, and it really wasn't, but it was disconcerting because you just don't see that on a film set.
0: Well, and he's supposed today? to be wearing the, the flesh-colored thing over his package, uh, he wasn't. Pack she he wasn't.
1: In today's uh, day, that would never happen.
0: Oh no. HR! Our, in our happy hour thing, the whole crew was saying that if we had to deal with human resources back then, we all would have gone to hell.
1: Yeah. We
0: were having way too much fun, and we were so inappropriate with each other, all of us were. But there was something else to that scene, and I think it was that scene, where he's laying there and to mess with you guys on one of the takes when you're panning around yeah he stuck a breadstick up his ass
2: oh that's (laughs) (laughs) i've completely forgotten that yeah because the camera (laughs) kind of dollies past it you know and then oh my god i totally forgot that at, I
0: just wanted wait, to know who like, grabbed the breadstick out of his ass. Who yeah, to, Who took? was? Whose job was that?
1: <laughs> was that left in? That wasn't left in, right? No. Or was it? No. no. But I had forgotten Someone the story. The
2: That's true. That is true. This is
1: a blooper reel. That was one of my favorite
0: stories that uh, that I would hear. Um, so when you were editing, um, as far as David Chase goes, would he let you do the edits? Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, generally in television, you know, the director gets a cut and then the executive producer, the creator, does a pass on it you know David in general I don't really have any memories of anything happening with the cuts of my shows I tend to shoot to cut I mean I don't tend to shoot extra footage I just sort of shoot what I feel is needed that's Uh, why
1: I loved you Two takes in and out. Actor
2: (laughs) dream. Yeah. 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 So I don't really have a memory of David so-called butchering anything that I did at all. I really don't. There was one thing where we had a disagreement, and I went in and fought for my version, and he did it. And which was there's a sequence in the D girl where uh, Christopher has sex with the D girl, and once that sexual business starts happening, the end of the scene is. That she leans down toward him and her hair kind of falls because she had that really straight red hair and the hair kind of came down and kind of felt like a curtain going across Christopher and Mm -hmm. then the camera continues down into the mattress and comes up and I fought for that for a very specific reason and you know I think he was worried that it was as he would say too much the hand of the director and I said but I my case was it had to do with what the incoming scene is because I was making a little comical tip of the hat to The cliche, which is normally with something like that, the camera would come down into the mattress and then it would float along the mattress and come back up and they would be smoking, right? And then so the camera came down and went into the mattress and it comes up on Livia and it always up. Yeah, and
1: and, so good. And AJ. Yeah, it was
2: great. It was so sexy and it was kind of sensual and the camera came down and it comes up nicely. You see a leg at first and then you see Livia and it's like, oh, no, that's not what I wanted to see. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was
2: it. So I fought him on that, and and thankfully he acquiesced. And in general, in in the work that I do, I worked as an editor very, very early in my career, you know. So I really plan every shot, and I know pretty much how it's going to cut together.
0: Um, How was it like when you were? uh, Well, that was it, it was so short lived. What happened to vinyl? You know, I had an issue with that show originally. Like, I wanted to love it, and I did not love it until the, the very end of the season. I then fell madly in love with it and was
2: completely committed.
0: And which, then it got
2: canned. Which, which one? Vinyl. 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 Oh. Well, the the machinations and the politics behind the scenes were just- That's what I heard. A lot is, of drama. Yeah, a lot of drama. Oh, really? I, don't, I mean, there are a lot of stories, and I think, but I think they're true. I mean, HBO and Mick Jagger kind of wanted one version of the show. And mm-hmm. HBO at one point hired a new writer. And then Marty Scorsese was on the other side of this and Terry. So what happened was, as I understand it, HBO wanted one version and Terry had written it and they were, you know, moving toward production. And then HBO hired this other writer who did a major rewrite, which I guess Nick liked and HBO liked. And the script got to Marty who said, I can't shoot this, you know. So over a long weekend, Terry rewrote it completely (laughs) and Marty shot that. (laughs) And this did not please... All kinds of people, because
1: oh, I'm sure because it didn't
2: pass it by HBO to say, Are You okay with this? Oh. and that, that caused a schism that was never really healed. So, wow, because yeah, it was I, a I
1: little that, cliche. Did, did you feel that way, Dre? I, you know, I don't really
0: remember um, what it was that I didn't love about it, it just wasn't coming together for me as much as I wanted to because I love the era, I love Bobby mm-hmm. Cannavale. I love the whole mm-hmm. it's Scorsese, it's Mick Jagger, it's like all it was yeah. Terry. It was everything that I love about every, about every industry. And then it just didn't. didn't but then towards the end, I was better. so committed, especially, I think, because of Bobby Cannaval and his performance was yeah. so fantastic. I just, I was really bummed out that it didn't come back. But I mean, come on. I mean, you don't argue with Terry Winner and Scorsese. Okay. I don't care if you're Mick Jagger and HBO, okay?
2: Well, well I think no. you argue. you could say, nor should marty and terry argue with mick about a song let's say you know because right. I, yeah,
0: but this was a piece of film That's this right. is a so different they're,
2: they're they're different animals and you know it's just the way it is i mean look the show that i wish it continued and i've had many people say this was rome you know tim timmy and i went over oh, I, i've
0: never shop. seen it i still haven't seen it Mm-mm. which Maybe. is crazy
2: i think it's really worth seeing and that had to do with uh, finances i think unfortunately it was a financial boondoggle and it was too expensive for HBO to shoulder by themselves, but oh, wow. I was that was a shame. The other show that I enjoyed doing, I think it didn't quite work because it was such an insider tale was uh, Luck, the David Milch uh, show about. Horses. Oh,
0: yes, mm-hmm. yeah, I love Milch. I would have kept going, I started watching that one.
2: It was very much the insider language on the I mean, Milch's language was always very convoluted, but also that was the world of horse racing, and there's a lot of lingo yeah. that I had to pick up. But once you kind of got into it, I, I really liked the characters a lot, and I, I enjoyed myself. Michael Mann was, you know, I, my experience with feature directors, when they're really good, and if they do the pilot, but when they're like that, they are the ideal producer because they leave you alone, because they know what it's like to have somebody all over them.
1: Right, and so yeah.
2: When I, I did a pilot, with Spielberg was the executive producer, one with Michael Mann, one with David Fincher. And in every instance, they completely left me alone. I remember scouting locations for the tech scout. Michael Mann came along, and I was like thinking, oh, Jesus Christ, you know, it's Michael Mann, and I respect <laughs> him and so on. And I just thought, oh, you know, fuck it, he hired me, so I'm just going to ignore him. He left like in 20 minutes, and that was it. I never saw him again. And Yeah. <laughs> really, I, I, you know, he has quite the reputation on the set, but I have to say as a producing executive on a show like that, He was great. I mean, he made great advice. He was not a man to be intimidated by the budget. Uh, And I remember, you know, saying there was a great location. I said, but, you know, it's very far away. It'll cost us a good deal more. He said, fuck it. If you like it, just do it. And so... Rarely do you get a producer saying that. So he was great, and Fincher was great, and uh,
0: I think when they're huge directors like that, it's different. I think it's when they, you know, when they have a few films under their belts. That's when it, sometimes it gets crazy on one of the TV shows.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, actually, Alan, you and I met first on a, a show for
2: NBC. Uh, yeah, it was wherever um, Law and Order. I think it's NBC. Uh, I don't know if it that was
0: in Law and Order. it, no, was, it wasn't. Um, oh, but
2: it was. It was Dick Wolf. And it was oh, a spin-off yes. from Law & Order. It was, called, it was a, even a spinoff from uh, New York Undercover called Swift Justice. It's funny, but okay. I used to refer to New York Undercover as the bastard stepchild of Law & Order, you know, like the one that the, the king never refers to, you know. That's where Timmy and I cut our teeth on that because they would really leave you alone. Don Kurt, you know, was great, and he would just leave us alone and let us go out. And, but Wait, I on had, Swift yeah, Justice? On, on New York Undercover. But oh, okay, okay. The story behind Swift Justice was, I hadn't been in the union. Finally, got in the union, and so they were having me direct the title sequences for New York Undercover. The they hadn't given me a full episode yet, and so Don Kurt was directing an episode. And so the schedule was such that he couldn't direct that scene, but it was kind of a climactic scene with, uh, with you and your boyfriend, and it's out on the street, is riding down. They were like
0: on the fire escapes, and I'm down here.
2: Yeah, yeah it was, a, bit, it was of-
0: a giant scene.
2: Yeah, and there was that. My, my first team. acting
0: job ever, by the way.
2: That's right. Really? It's my yep. first acting
0: job
1: ever. Alan, was this your first directing job?
2: No, I was still doing second unit, and this was alleged second unit, but they were climactic scenes. So I think there was a little rumble from the DGA because uh-huh. what was I doing directing major dialogue scenes if I'm a second unit director?
0: I didn't know that's a thing. You got to yeah, stay in I
2: your mean, lane. I mean, it's like then, you know, well, then I'm really a first unit director if I'm directing dialogue with, you know, a major wow. scene. And so, you know, so, but that, then I think after that, and then I still remember I was going away on vacation and, and that was still Don's episode. And I was going to, supposed to leave this one day. And the night before I went to some party and I was like up all hours, probably had too much to drink. And the next day I was supposed to, I think, leave in the afternoon on a flight. And I got a call, Don, he can't get to the set right away. Can you come and direct this scene? And I was like, <laughs> what? And I hardly had any sleep. So I took a cab down to the Lower East Side, down under the bridge, way down, way downtown. And uh, I show up, and they hand me these script pages. I'm like, what is this? You know. So I ended up directing this, this sequence, and it was a big shootout. And I was like, oh, my God. You
1: yes! Know? You're like, I'm hungover.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. And I had to leave. So I directed, and finally Don showed up and eventually took over. Uh, but at certain point I said, Don, I'm sorry. I have to leave. I have to catch a flight. So, but after that, he gave me a full episode and that was, oh, so and he gave me that. I did more of
0: it. Alan, I didn't know. It was like you and
1: I were just starting out yeah. together. 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 How did you get to Sopranos? What was that? That I was had, years later.
2: Yeah, I was like four years later, some three years later. It took me forever to kind of break in, but Once I did, you know, you kind of, uh, you've been waiting so long, you're really ready. And so I kind of moved pretty quickly once I started finally broke through that door. And uh, I had just come off a year of doing a show called Millennium, and and I finished with the X-Files. So after that, I was looking toward what the next season was, and I had numerous possibilities I was offered. So I was looking at what's next, and I picked a few shows, like two or three that looked interesting. And then I came home, I was in Mexico on vacation, and we came back and I, somehow this pilot came to me, you know, for The Sopranos. Mm -hmm. And I saw that and I said, shit, man. And I immediately called my agent, Paul Allen Smith, who I'm still with after all those years. And I said, you've got to get me an interview for this. And as luck would have it, Paul was very tight with a woman at that time at HBO named Miranda Heller. And I I know
0: Miranda, I know her.
2: Yeah. And uh, so he was tight with Miranda. And I guess uh, from what I understand, you know, he had sort of been tracking my career with her, you know, sort of letting her know what I was up to. And in the meantime, David was in New York looking for New York directors. This is what I was told. And he was asking around. And from what I understand, he kept hearing my name being mentioned. So it was kind of like a pincer movement because HBO and people in New York were talking about me. So an interview was set up. And I remember uh, going to Silver Cup and going in there. I didn't know anybody. And I didn't know who David was. I'd never heard of him.
0: No one had, really.
2: (laughs) No, no. I mean, and so I went there. And I remember showing up, and it would have been Eileen Landers, who I didn't know at the time, telling me that David's in a terrible mood. (laughs)
0: Uh, Ready? Great.
2: Great. And he's in a terrible mood. And, you know, it didn't really mean anything to me because I didn't know him. And I was not, uh, you know all you know or anything and I remember went into the meeting and you know within five minutes we were laughing our ass off about something and we just Uh. get it off so I don't know if on the spot I can't remember but basically I he hired me almost immediately uh, to do an episode and that was college so that was how I got it and then on the third or fourth day sometime in there we were filming out in Jersey one of the colleges I even remember where I was sitting and David came on the set. And he said, I've seen The Dailies, and you get it. I want you to come back and do another episode, and I'd like for you to stay on as producing director. So at that point, you could almost yep. draw a line and say, my, my life really changed. Because, yeah,
1: I'm sure. You know,
2: because The Sopranos was such a hit beyond any of our dreams. And, uh, I mean, really, everything that happened after that was largely, if not entirely, influenced by The Sopranos. I mean, it happened because of The Sopranos, and then, of course, other things happened.
1: Yeah, so.
0: my life, too. My life, too. Ever, everything
2: yeah, you know, I great. mean,
0: Swift Justice really changed my life. I, our hey, time together, yeah. at Swift Justice.
2: I if you want to be honest? It was Swift Justice. It was that scene by the fire <laughs> escape. Yeah.
0: Were, were you? remember when I when I when I sent the PA's
1: to get me onions to put That's in my eyes news. to cry.
2: I, I, I totally remember. <sighs> that. I
1: was, was putting some tried? onions in your eyes. <laughs> um, well. I feel like that show changed everyone's life, and every even as a viewer, which I am. Our expectation now of a level of watching series is like, you know, that changed everything. I mean, have you seen different series try to imitate what Sopranos did successfully or unsuccessfully in your?
2: Well, I don't really watch television, but I can say that there's no question in my mind that it was the Sopranos that kicked open the door. Yeah. That made it possible for other wonderful shows to come forward, you know, whether it was Breaking Bad or Deadwood or... uh, House of Cards would not have existed if it hadn't started with Sopranos because it was the, the show was such that, I mean, I'll give you an example, you know, it made people accept finally television as a legitimate artistic endeavor, even though there had yeah. been good things over the years and a lot of, a lot of good things, but it still was like second fiddle to the features. And uh, I remember going to a meeting once, uh, you know, I used to go to meetings about features and it would be kind of like, ah, oh, how are you? What do you got? You know, whatever. And it would be a little bit disappointing because you'd feel like I'm just a TV director. And Mm -hmm. after The Sopranos, I remember going to a meeting with some feature people and them saying to me, we want to do what you want. And so it changed. (laughs) Now they're looking at you.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly. It was was Sopranos. that I got my first feature that way because people liked the thing. I I started doing commercials because guys came to me to do those Budweiser. I don't know if you remember that Budweiser did a whole series of commercials with kind of Sopranos-like characters where they say, how you doing, how you doing. I oh, remember. my
0: God. You did those?
2: Yeah. yeah I, I don't the remember them.
0: Year. I forgot about them, but now yeah, I'm remembering. Yeah. And now I'm, and, and now it was you.
2: Yeah. Well, the first. Amazing. Back, yeah. So anyway, so it made possible what is often referred to as the golden age of television or the second yeah. golden age of television. But it started, honestly, with the Sopranos. And that's what opened the door. For David Milch and Mm -hmm. David Simon, all the the Davids.
0: When I first started out acting, it was theater. And then I knew that I wanted to be in film. I never wanted to be a a fucking TV actor. And I'm sure most people didn't want to direct in TV. I I went to film school originally. That's really what I wanted to do. But now that we've changed the scope of television with that show, the way I see it is I, I have no desire to be in a film at all whatsoever. Uh, I love having a character that I can develop over years Mm -hmm. um, and that changes and that you get to study her and get it and all these different sort of evolutions because that's what our real lives are like. Like we're we're forever changing. And with a film, you don't get a chance to recover. If you didn't make the right choice, you don't get a chance to go Mm -hmm. back and fix that. But if you're on stage you can go back and fix your performance. You can redirect yep. a scene for the next night and hope that the actor can 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 get with it. But once that film is up there, you can't redeem yourself. No, <laughs> so I- all I want to ask you at the end of this thing is where would you like to be right now? What job would be the ultimate dream job right now? Would it be a film? Would it be a, a, another TV series? Would it be show running a, t- a TV series as a director?
2: You know, I, I, funny enough, I just had a conversation this morning with uh, an actress in England about a, a wonderful pilot that I read a while back by a wonderful writer named Matthew Lee Erlbach uh, called Gordon Two. And uh, I'm hoping uh, we can set it up. I mean, we'll see if this actress wants to do it. If not, we'll go to someone else. So I would love to do that because I just think it's so smart. In fact, I think just this morning I was saying I thought it was the smartest script I'd read probably since The Sopranos in terms of pilot oh, wow. script. Uh, That's a gift. Yeah, it is. So, I, you know, I, I keep looking for another pilot. And if it was a pilot that was uh, a, of a show that I wanted to stay involved, uh, I would probably be willing to stay involved somehow, maybe as a an executive producer overseeing and maybe direct a few more. Kind of like Timmy did on Perry Mason, you know, where he did the first yeah. three and the last two. So, I mean, something like that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm looking for that. I have about uh, literally... Five or six things in development. Any one of which
0: oh, would
2: be fun to do. Uh, all speaking, TV, all television, uh, and one feature that I'm working on with my, my producer, who was was my assistant and now my producer, James Presson, and we've been creating a script that I would like to shoot up here, actually, uh, kind of a low budget piece. But either that or one of these things in development, or you know something that comes across the transom. So.
0: Have you gotten back to work yet in this, um, oh, in our, I, new, our, know, our new world order? <laughs> you
2: know, I know. I, I, I've really resisted. I, I It's a burden to be a director and to add to that burden, the burden of trying to be extremely careful. I wouldn't do anything before the spring, I don't think. And even then we'll see how things go and the way they're going.
1: Oh, I hope they open up. Yeah.
2: So, yeah, I mean, there's a number of things of development that I'd like to do and, and, you know, but I, I really feel at this point I want to choose very, very carefully what I do and uh, pick and choose and, and not work as much, not like the old days when I was doing whatever it was. Man,
0: that, that was
2: that was a grind. It was a grind. Eighteen
0: I, hour yeah, we, days. Season two was a grind for
2: you oh of The God. Sopranos.
0: Season two was your grind.
2: It was my amazing. season
0: five was my grind.
2: <laughs> so.
0: What's for dinner right now, Alan? What is Kim cooking?
2: She's not. She just picked up from our favorite Italian restaurant, uh, five oh. minutes from here. So.
0: Oh, you can have freaking Italian food! I got to change my accent oh. right now. Hold oh. on.
2: Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> anyway. What is your favorite Italian dish, Alan? You got to tell us that on your way out. You
2: know, cacio e pepe. Cacio oh, pepe.
0: really? Yeah. That's what, like it's the pepper and the cheese, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. And it's like the, okay. What
0: is the, it? The I don't properly. know.
2: It's hard to get it in this country, really done properly, but. Uh, it was Fellini's favorite dish, and it's my favorite dish. I mean, but I, you know, I like pesto and pasta. You know, I like all oh, the, the, Very few yeah. things I like. I'm, so I'm a big fan of puttanesca. I don't like it. I yeah, never I like liked that. it. It's got the wow. olives in it, right?
0: Yeah. And yeah. Olives, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not
0: yeah. this Italian. I, but I like a Texas boy likes puttanesca sauce. A so nice Texas boy.
2: Whatever happened <laughs> to him? You know, where did he go? <laughs> Anyway, Alan, thank you too. so
0: much for, for thank hanging you. out with us today. Great. Really John. appreciate it. Thank it you. Great to great. see
1: you. It was nice meeting you, Alan. <laughs> have a great well, dinner. Have a
0: delicious dinner. Good <laughs> bye. Bye-bye.
2: Ciao, bye. Ciao, ciao. Ciao.
0: Bye. Guys, that was a great episode with Alan Coulter. Um, just so you guys know, Alan Coulter is one of my favorite directors, and he did direct some of the most important episodes of the series. So that was really exciting. I was on my best behavior, which is why it was a little bit on the quiet side.
1: So subscribe and tune in next week for, what are we doing next week? We don't even know. How about that? Just tune in, but subscribe. That's true. We don't know what we're doing. We, don't, we, we never know, know what, we're, what doing. we're doing. We don't even know. We're if, gonna, if We're going to be on the couch. We're going to be in the chairs. We're going to be the computer. We don't even know if we're going to keep doing this podcast. We're really no. confused. No, don't say that. because We've gotten, by the way, I do want to address one thing. people? the made women thing people think that we just left just because we just left and they're like are they gonna leave gangster goddess at the end of the season two and just be done with it no we left because we had a breakup and we needed to move on and we thought it would be the best case scenario so um we did and that was our baby now we're here we got a new baby and we're not leaving so, no, we
0: have six I, seasons to go guys. Sopranos is six seasons. We have to get to all these amazing episodes that we just talked about with Alan. And oh I can't God. wait to dig into university. That is my favorite episode. Oh,
1: I mean, I just watched it this morning for the first time since 20 years as you told me to. And wow, that was amazing. Yeah. It's intense. Um, nice. All right. Well tune in next Tuesday. Later. Hi, everyone. Bye. Gangster Goddess broadcast is a UV Waves and Monkey Mind Music Group production. Executive produced by Dre and Chris, and theme song by UV Waves.